you came on a good, great Sunday, not because of the snow, but because of the story that we're talking about today is so, and I don't say this lightly, but it's life-changing. Whether you believe in the Bible or not, I do. Whether you believe that it actually happened, I believe it. Um, whether you believe Jesus is a historical person or not, it, right now it doesn't matter. So just a moment, just have an open mind for what goes, what takes place here because he does something in this story. And Mark, I'm going to turn the light on because it's not for you, it's for the recording. So wake up, and it's to wake up. Um, there's times when I struggle to read the Bible. I'll just say that publicly as a pastor. How many of us, man, we just... We never miss a day ever reading the Bible, right? Even your pastor, okay? But if you ever want to just hit a reset button and just say, I want to go somewhere where I want to read something in the Bible that's going to be very powerful, encouraging, life-changing, go to one of the Gospels. Some people point to John, the book of John. I, I would too, but I would just say the book of Mark because it gets right to the point. It's not, it, I'm not Mark, I'm Joel, so I don't get right to the point ever. Um, but Mark does, he just goes, ugh. And I love the story because I, I, I'm believing for a life-changing encounter with Jesus. I read this story maybe eight, nine, ten times this week over and over and over and over because I really was impacted by the reading. I've read it a million times over my lifetime, but, um, okay, maybe a hundred thousand times. But this time, I was really challenged based on how I live my life or don't live my life. If God has called me to do hard things and live for him and do the things that Jesus did, even when it's hard, and say the things that Jesus said, and I'm not doing it, then every time I read the things that I should be doing and I'm not, I get challenged. I get a little, I get a little uh, challenged a little bit. They step on my feet a little bit, the Bible. But I love it. So I believe for an encounter with Jesus. But I want you, for just a moment before we get into the word, I want you to think about who are the people that Jesus hung out with the most. Before we get to that, who do Christians hang out with the most, most of the time? Other Christians, right? We believe that's, impo that's important to, for community, okay? But when you look at Jesus, he, he hung around other Jewish believers, yes, but he hung around people who were outsiders, who were outcasts. I, I wrote down a few people. He, um, he hung out with a Samaritan woman at the well, Okay, I don't have time to get into who, what that was, but it was an outsider. Jewish people looked at Samaritans and said, ugh, I can't stay. You know, it, it's like, it'd be like, uh, you know, back in the day or even maybe today, like racism. And you go, I can't hang out with that person because of their skin color or what they represent. Or, or you know, people don't like me because I like the Seahawks and they, they stay away from me, right? So it, it could be that. But he hung out with the right person that... Uh, uh, for the right reason, but the outsiders, they said, you hung around with who? And then there's a time where Jesus, he got there, and there, there's this woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Like, she was, um, she was caught, and they could have, she, he could have stoned her, like threw rocks at her and killed her. But he decided, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to show love, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And he said, go and sin no more. Think about the sinful, the, this is scandalous. I, what I love about Jesus, one of the words that's not said a lot about Jesus, he's scandalous. He does things to make religious people uncomfortable, okay? And I always say it's like, like Jesus comes to afflict uh, the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. So if you're comfortable, 
He's here to afflict you a little bit, make you feel a little uncomfortable. And he does that a lot. So this lady, he's having dinner with all these Pharisees. And a Pharisee is a religious professional person. Like, look at how professional I am. See, I'm holier than thou. I, I, I walk on water. And when I walk, I float, you know, because I'm that holy, right? Um, and Dwayne, you're not really that holy, so I'm better than you. That was a Pharisee. And Jesus, for an amazing reason, I think it was for more than that, but he sits down for dinner, and this lady comes in. She's a known sinner. She comes in there, breaks this jar of uh, perfume, pours it over her feet, starts weeping, and then he, he puts the tears on his feet, washes his feet with his tears, and then she rubs her hair on his feet, like, think of, imagine that for just a moment. That happened to church. Pastor's preaching. This sinful woman comes in there, and she puts her uh, hair on my feet. Now, what would my wife think? But she's not only a real, she's not only just a regular woman. She is a known sinner. She's notorious. And she, someone goes, uh, what a waste. She could have, we could have used that money and give it to the poor. Like, they would have really done that. But anyway, you know, but it's scandalous. What about eating a meal with Zacchaeus? And I'm going to use a word that the religious people call an other scum. Okay? Zacchaeus was a tax collector, which I don't like paying taxes. I'll do my fair share, whatever. But these people literally, they would go, hey, look what's over there. Grab, you know, steal some money or you owe 10%. But I'm going to say that you owe about 15% and I'm going to pocket the 5% that on top of anything. Then what about Matthew, the tax collector? He became a disciple who wrote the book of Matthew. Now, what do all these people have in common? There's a word, outcast. Every single one of them was despised, hated, gossiped about, and even at best, they were ignored. They were, they were often ignored. That's the best, you know, instead of going, did you see that guy over there? Did you see that woman right there? They were often ignored. They wouldn't even look them in the eye. Because it's powerful. If you were able to talk to people in the eye, make eye contact, right? But if you can't even make eye contact, you know? And I, I, I'll be honest, some of us, maybe we're not this honest, but there are people who I don't want to have a conversation with. And I kind of just kind of, I never saw you, I promise, right? But, but if you want to see and, and say, I really do care. You do make eye contact. And that's exactly what Jesus is like. But the outcasts, these are people who are hated, mocked, judged. Yet Jesus spent as much time with these people as he did the religious people. He spent time with his disciples who still continued to, I consider them outsiders even when they believed. They were not the professional Jewish religious leaders like the Pharisees. Now, I love it because Jesus spent time with the outcasts. He loved them. He made them feel um, accepted. He made them feel God's mercy. He showed them what it meant to be merciful and compassionate. Because we serve a God, if you're taking notes, just right on the top, our God is compassionate. Before you get a little nervous, like, what about sin? Okay, sin is wrong. I told you that. Okay? But we also have a God that's a judge, but he's also compassionate. So he's going to make a way to pay for your sin that you don't have to pay for yourself. That's compassion. Now, I thought about a more modern yet more as, as powerful example of outcasts. And there was a picture that, to me, represent an outcast. Like, you would not want to go there, okay? There is a homeless camp right there. Now, 
when we were go to my dad's house, he lives over in, in uh, Edmonds, Washington. It's a little bit north of Seattle. We were driving through Seattle a couple years ago when he got remarried, and um, we were going through Seattle. What did we see? The whole town was deserted because it was 2020. It was like COVID, and, uh, and I don't even know why I quote. It was COVID. You know, I'm not even quoting. It was COVID. Um, <laughs> but we drove. What did we see when we went through Seattle? This all over, and went bunch of idiots. I didn't say that, but I was like, this is disgusting. Now, I have a, a slight suspicion that you can see that picture, and if you go, you can smell it too, right? Because this is an example to me of people that we avoid, and they come out and they beg, and we say, there's a Walmart right over there. Go get a job. I've said that, right? I've said it. We go to Walmart the other day, and there's another guy that's sitting right by Tomato Brothers, right? And I go, I don't see him, but I see that Tomato Brothers. That was really good. I didn't really, we didn't eat there, but we were going to. But um, this last week, my wife reminded me of a video I shared almost exactly a year ago. God has got a funny sense of timing. She, she reminded me of a video, and I'm not going to watch it today because it's nine minutes long, but I, I'll share it on, I've recorded these, I'll share it on the link underneath and it's, um, it's a story of a pastor by the name of Jim Cimbala, and he is pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle. Um, very, very powerful guy. He's humble. It's a bigger church, and he tells a story about preaching at an Easter service. Like, there was multiple services. It was a bigger church, so it's multiple services. He ends the last sermon of the day. He's like, I'm exhausted. So he goes to the end of the uh, stage, and he just sits there with his feet hanging, dangling down, just kind of like, he wants to go home, but he, he can't leave before the, some of the people leave. Like, hey amen, let's go, right? He can't do that. Pastors can't do that. But he's sitting there, and in the corner of his eye, he sees this guy still sitting there. Bad, like horrible clothes, long beard. Wish I could grow a beard like that, but I just can't. But just a long beard, disheveled hair, right? It's messed up. And he goes, oh, great. Because the guy gets up and starts walking to him. Now it's like, I just want to go home. I'm tired. I want to go home and watch the Seahawks, right? I got things to do, people to see. No, no, no one to see. And then he comes up there and he goes, it's obvious he's, he, he can smell them from a mile away. He smells, he, his words, he smelled like a mixture of uh, urine, feces, BO, body odor, uh, sweat. That's the same. But mix it together and that's what he smelled like, like that, Okay. And he goes, I'm just going to give him $5 and, and shut him up, and I'm just going to let him get, go. He, he obviously wants money. But he, before he does, he goes, where, where are you from? And the guy said, I live outside your guys' church right down the road, and I almost got, they almost tried to shoot me. And so I ran away from my camp, and I heard you guys' music, and I snuck in to just get some peace so they're not going to kill me. That's why I'm here. And he goes, okay, okay let me just get him out of here. Gets out a $5 bill. And this, this is how you know God is moving. The guy did not want any money. Like, I would have thought he would have went, okay, and then, and then say what he would. Because I don't want your money. This is where the, the story was powerful to me. He said, I want this Jesus that you were talking about. And then he could still smell him from a mile away, yet the guy was like right here. God told him to embrace him, hug him. And he, he also said something powerful. If you can't embrace that smell, if you can't love that smell, I can't use you ever. 
Because he said, the whole world smells like that to me, but I sent my son Jesus to love you, to embrace you, to forgive you, to accept you. And if you can't love that smell, if you can't embrace that smell, I have no use for you. Now, I was like, man. Because I've seen the, I shared that on Facebook a year ago. And then watch it again, and it's just like, wow, that's powerful. And then he said this, I wrote it out. He says, a preacher in need of God and a guy from the street in need of God, I knew who was really in need of prayer that day. It was Jim Cimbala. I lifted my hands and I said, God, please forgive me. What kind of cheap two-bit preacher have I become? You sent someone who's searching for you, and I want to give him a few dollars and get rid of him. Please help me. And God, at that moment, he baptized me with his love and with his grace. He saw how pitiful I was. Which one was it that needed God more? The good news is that they embraced and they were just kind of rocking back and forth and the guy gave his life to Christ that day. Man, that's powerful. But Jim Cimbala, who just preached at multiple Easter services, needed to repent. Because we often ignore those who are ignored. We often ignore and push to the side people who are different than us, smell different than us, it's uncomfortable. I've had people, I've had, we, we've had a few people in this church that were homeless. And it is uncomfortable to be able to say, hey, how you doing? Because I want to go, uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, the preacher who keeps talking doesn't know what to say. How can I encourage someone? How can I motivate them to follow God? But they're here. See, we're in Mark chapter 1, and there's a purpose of why I'm choosing to talk about this because of the story today. And Jesus, what he's doing today, he's going to change your life. I guarantee it. It's amazing. It's life-changing. It's, it's uh, challenging. It's, he chose four disciples. And what Mark wants you to know is that Jesus is active, busy, and alive. He's not a dead God. He's not asleep. God is not asleep somewhere. You know, we think of God as a God who's up in heaven. He's, in his, he's like an old man. What do old men do when they're in the recliners? Or young men, what do we do when we're in recliners? What do middle-aged men do in their recliners? We fall asleep. What do a 42-year-old man do in his recliner? I don't care what you do. You put on a movie, I'm going, okay? But Mark wants you to know that Jesus is not, he's not like that, where he's asleep in his chair. He's active. He's alive. And so he taught in a synagogue. He preached. He healed people. And then there was this guy that came in for the church into the synagogue, which is the Jewish church, basically. And he walked in as this demon-possessed, seeding guy. Now, I've been to a service. I don't want to scare anybody, but it scared me. Uh, but there was this demon-possessed guy that when, when I was in college, we were in the church, and I was, we were just having regular service, and this guy comes in. It was obvious something was going on with him. And then someone who had that gift of, he, uh, of, of uh, exor- exercising a demon prayed over him, and he was a different person before he left. It was awesome, but it was scary, right? But Jesus did the exact same thing. To prove his authority to the people around him, he healed people. He taught with authority. And then he actually took out demons, and he said, get out of him. Because the guy was saying, the demon was going, we know who you are. And one of the things that you're going to notice about Mark, it's very odd, but People were trying to mob Jesus. What would he say often? Jesus would say often, don't say anything. We can't help but when Jesus does something to us to share it. We're supposed to share it. But at that moment when he's on this earth, he said, you be quiet. Because people were mobbing him. He became so popular, he couldn't just go anywhere. 
So that's where we get to actually Mark chapter 1, verse 35. He's had a long day of healing. He went to sleep for a few hours, and Mark 1.35 is in the middle of the night. Well, early in the morning, but the sun hasn't come up yet. It says, before daybreak the next morning, so the, the, the sun hasn't come up yet. I always say that if the sun's not up, then I'm not getting up. But that's not always true either. But Jesus, he got up, and he went out to an isolated place to what? To get his coffee. No, to pray. I'm already challenged, and we're only one verse in. Okay? I'm not a morning person. Work makes me get a... What's that? Okay. Amen. Right? I'm not a morning person, but work makes me get up early. Okay? But the first thing I do, get my coffee ready. Take a shower. Jesus, he goes, I don't need coffee. I'm going outside, and I'm going to isolate place, and I'm going to be praying. I already am already feeling very, very convicted right now and challenged. Okay? But... He actually went out for so long that by verse 36, everyone else is now awake. Because I guarantee the disciples were still asleep at this, in this verse. Right? They're not following him. But in verse 36 and 37, it says, Later, Simon and the others, they went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Okay, I want, you, I want to say something about Jesus right here. He has priorities. And yet, the whole city is saying, we need more healings. We need, we need more exercise demons. We got a bunch of demons that are, need to be exercised. We need healings. We need more teaching. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Come on, come on, come on. Jesus, where are you at? What are you doing? You're wasting time praying. Listen to me. I've had moments in my life over the last 22 years where I said, why? And I don't want to take this, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I said, I'll pray for like an hour or five minutes or 10 minutes and I don't feel anything different. I say, why did I waste my time? Why can't I spend that time doing something? Reality is, Jesus, he knew what a priority was. What's a priority? Something that you do whether you're busy or not. Okay? How many of us eat? Eat. I was say eat breakfast. I skip breakfast oftentimes. We eat. How many of you guys, you just go home one day or go, go to bed one night and you go, you know what? I actually forgot to eat today. I literally didn't think about it. Now, what? some of us, I would never forget that. My stomach would hurt. That little beast in the stomach that's rolling around, it needs to get out and eat, right? Now, what about brushing your teeth? How many of you guys, let's, let's take a poll. How many of us brushed our teeth this morning? How many of us forgot? Lord Jesus, I pray. Now, I'm sorry, but I cannot forget to brush my teeth. There's this little fuzzy thing in my teeth that makes me be brushed off. And then that taste of coffee needs to be brushed off and mouthwash. It's mouthwash is magical. That might be your takeaway for today, but anyway. Um, but we often do the things that, whether we're busy or not, because we prioritize them. My priority is before I leave the house to go to work, I'm going to tell my wife and kid, I love you. Right? Because I, I leave, that might be the last time they ever see me. I hate to be so grim, right? Don't listen to that, Lid. Okay? You just never know. I want the last word to be, I love you, not get out of my face, right? But Jesus, he prioritized prayer. He did, and he knew that, that prayer is a place of intimacy, 
place, prayer is a place of dependence. Prayer is a place of power. He knew it. He knew that he needed to connect with his father. He needed to refuel. And I look at that and I go, listen, if Jesus needed to pray, the sinless son of God, it's easy to think that Jesus did not need prayer. But even Jesus needed prayer. He needed to connect with his father. And if he needed it, how much more do I? Because I'm not sinless. <laughs> I, I'd like to think that I'm like Jesus in many ways, but not the sin part. How many of us are sinless? I didn't mean in the last 10 seconds. I meant your entire life. Okay? So Jesus did amazing stuff. I look at him and hit the results. And I say, I wonder if the reason why Jesus did amazing stuff while this on this earth wasn't so much the fact that he's God, but it was that he connected with his father. I think that's the reason why he did so amazing things. Look at verse 38 and 39, because they're saying, stay. And he goes, you know what? We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That's why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee. What did he do? He preached in the synagogues, and he cast out demons. You could throw in there, at the same time, healed people. Because you look at chapter 1 and chapter 2, and that is exactly what he's doing, healing people. You ever seen those church services online that there's a guy? You don't have to tell me what you think of them. That, it doesn't matter. But they're praying, and the guy falls over. He's praying and falling over. He's praying and falling over. He's praying. Don't tell me what you think about those. I don't want to know because sometimes I think they're powerful. Sometimes I went to a service one time. Here's an admission that I don't want. I went to a service, and I wouldn't fall over, so I just went, I just fall over because they left me alone. But anyway, I won't get into that. That's when I was in high school. They wouldn't leave me alone. It's like, I'll just lay on the ground. Okay, but... Uh, it worked. But this is what Jesus is doing. He's like, boom, boom, boom. Benny Hinn's got nothing on Jesus. I mean, he's doing this. Uh, uh, it, you know, he's just praying, and this person's like seething at the mouth, and that guy's demon-possessed, this demon leaves, and he does it. He's teaching. People are amazed. And then verse 40, I was reading this last week going, where am I going to read at? Because it's where Mark chapter 1 still. I'm saying, there's a story that just stopped me in my tracks. And it's powerful. Not that this is not powerful, but it's personal. Okay, verse 40. Because he's in the middle of healing people. He's in the middle of preaching. He's in the middle of listening. The guy walks in. He says, a man with leprosy. Everybody say leprosy. We modernize it. We call it Hansen's disease because it sounds better. Okay? A man with leprosy. Listen, these people... Limbs are falling off. This ooze and pus and disgusting. It's like, it's like the homeless guy that stinks. This he has nothing on this guy who is, is, is like, it's, his, his arms falling off. His nose is falling off. He has no nose. Okay? Because that's what leprosy it eats you alive. And he goes, a man with leprosy, he's, Jesus is in the middle of this house and the guy walks in. And he's like, he's walking in and his, his toe falls off as he's walking in. Okay. He came and he knelt in front of Jesus. Now, how close do you think he is? I bet he's pretty close. What would I, okay, before I read the rest of it, what would I do? Can I be honest? Go over in the back right there. And we, no, go in the corner right there and I'll pray for you over here. Right? How many of us would do that? Like if you're going to pray for someone that's sick. Right? I mean, imagine that today. Someone comes in and you're like, <coughs> I need prayer. Like, and they're like right here breathing on you. And you're like, 
I do that at the store and I'm working and someone's coughing. I'm like, like this really helps. But anyway, I won't get into that. My shirt for sure, I can see through it. So it's like, I'll pray for you over here, brother. I love you, but don't get near me. We've all done that. And Jesus, this guy, he comes in here. It's very, it's very contagious. This is not just a flu. He came and knelt in front of Jesus. He begged to be healed. If you're willing, not if you can, because he knew he can. He'd been healing all sorts of people. But if you're willing, why does he say that? I find it very curious why he says that. Because other people were not willing to be there with him, to even try to encourage him. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Now, pause. This shows the compassion of Jesus Christ because I wrote this down. A, a, a leper defined the term outcast in biblical times. His life was practically over. His social life was over. It was a social death sentence. Imagine having a constant runny nose, cough. Maybe you don't have to imagine it, but you know, you have, but you're like, <coughs> and your your eyes are all puffy, and you go, I just want a friend, and you're and Dwayne's like. Dude, I got to work tomorrow, man. I can't afford to be sick. Stay away from me. I love you, but stay away, brother. But Jesus, he knew about this outcast. In fact, a leper had to stay out. Of, he had to remain 72 feet away from people at all times. And he had to yell, unclean. Unclean. Imagine that. Unclean. I was thinking about this. Imagine for just a moment your worst thing that you've ever done. Because I don't think he deserved this, but he had it. But what if you, your very worst thing you've ever done, and the society makes you yell what you've done to everybody for the rest of your life? What, what if I had to walk around and just say, lust, I lusted, pornography, ab- abortion. What if, what if I, homosexuality, look, I'm, a, I'm gay. What if, what, what if we had to say that over and over and over and over? Or, or I committed adultery with my wife and then I just walked around town. That's what I yelled. But that's what the society made me do. How do people, how would you respond if that's what they made you do? Boy, it'd be miserable. What do you do? You hide. You go into hiding. You don't show your face. In fact, you actually, you had to be confined outside the city limits many times in the city dump because that's where you can find food and other items. And you didn't go into the city, but according to this, Jesus is in, he's in a synagogue. The guy sneaks in there. He's desperate. And the, what I love this is if Jesus touches the man, he instantly, according to religious people, he gets ceremonially unclean. In other words, he even if he didn't catch it, he would never, ever, ever be able to go back into that synagogue and, and, and preach and do sacrifice. He could never do it again just by touching the guy. This makes you ceremonially unclean. You couldn't do it, according to Leviticus. So, What I love about Jesus as much as even dying on the cross is he was willing to look at the person rather than tradition and what people thought was right. Now, I began this message with telling you a story about Jim Cimbala. 
And the reason why I chose that is because while leprosy still does exist, how many of us have ever seen a leper? Not leopard, leper. Nobody? Interesting. Me neither. We don't deal with it a lot. I thought about modern-day lepers, outcasts, at least in the church. Who were outcasts? I believe it's people like the homeless, the homosexual, the single mother where the dad isn't in the picture and she just has seven or eight kids, the drug addict who walks into a church, the alcoholic, the woman who has had an abortion. What if those people came into the church? And I don't mean the church, lowercase c, this building. I mean the church around the nation. What if they were known and they walk in there? How in the world would we respond? You're an outcast. I really don't like your type. I don't like your people. You're a sinner. You're going to hell. Or we don't even whisper, you're going to hell. Look, I believe in hell as a real place. Sin separates us from God forever. But can someone that is a modern day outcast, can they be saved? Yeah. Because to God, we were an outcast. To God, we were a leper. To God, that's who we are. And Jesus came and he went into that dump, that dump, the city dump where we were feeding. I'm using an illustration. And he went in there and he embraced us. And the least that we could do is not to accept their sin as okay, because that's an extreme that is not okay. Not to accept that, but to accept them and love them and show them the way of Christ. That's why. And yet the church, we go, nope, don't want it. They make me feel uncomfortable, so I'm not going to do it. What if I were to go into, I go into the bar all the time to, to deliver Pepsi. What if I were to sit down at the bar and just talk to people? I've been there where there was like, I'm not, I'm not against it at all. I like their food. I like food a lot. I like a hamburger right now. Thank you very much. But I've heard some crazy stuff there too. And I pastor a great church. I, I don't believe that any of us would look at me and go, what a sinner, look at him. But I've been to some churches who would have kicked me out of the ministry right there because Christians don't embrace that. You're embracing them. You're accepting their sin. No, 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 no. I love them. Why? Because I just so much love that. No, no, no. Because that's how Jesus lived. We're called to live as if Jesus is living through us, which through the Holy Spirit, he is. We're called to say what Jesus said. We're called to do what Jesus did. And the least we could do is to love those people. Maybe those people, the list of people, we don't know a single one, but who are the people who people avoid? I can think of people right now in my mind that nobody wants to talk to them for one way or reason or another I won't get into. And do I just join in that bandwagon? We often avoid those people because they're a mess. They stink. But how did Jesus treat the leper? And how do we treat people? Mark, verse 41 is right here, and 42 is the, the little changing point. Because Jesus could have jumped on the stage and went, I'll, I'll pray for you over here, brother. God be with you. I'll pray for you when you get home. 
Then he goes, no, no, no. Verse 41, moved with compassion. So that's how he responded to that person. Compassion. Jesus reached out and what? Touched. Thank you. One person read it right. Touched. Do you think he touched him on accident? Or was it strategic? He did this because it was scandalous. He did this because the religious people would get mad. That's why he did that. Because, again, imagine if someone's so used to being isolated and not being embraced, and someone just comes up to you. If, imagine if that's your life. No one likes you, let's say. You have no friends. You have no one that likes you. Your parents don't care about you. Your grandparents don't care about you. You're stuck by yourself, and all of a sudden that one person takes interest in you and does that. How do you respond? I want to be with that person forever. And when Jesus did that, I don't even think the guy needed to be healed to be changed. But since Jesus is God, he says, he touched him. I am willing. Not I can. I want to be healed instantly. There's that word again. You'll see instantly all throughout Book of Mark. Instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. I love that. This is absolutely life-changing to me. If you came up to me for prayer and you were sick with a contagious disease and I jumped up on the stage really quick and I said, "Go, God be with you. I'll pray for you. That We would kind of understand it, but our inside, what's wrong with me? But if we come up to people who we know, let's say there's someone with leprosy and I could possibly get leprosy by doing this. This proves compassion. And if you really want to know who God really is, look to Jesus. Look no further than Jesus Christ. I've read some, I've read the entire Bible and there are questions throughout the Bible. Old Testament people go, I don't like the Old Testament, blah, blah, blah. And I get it. And I go, okay, stop. I say, stop reading that for a minute and just look at Jesus. Who's God? Look at Jesus. How does God view, view people from the outside? He embraces them. He loves them. He changes their life. He touches them. Because that proves compassion. That I care more about you than I care about what other people even think about it. I care about the person, not protocol. Because what? And it's even worse now over the last three years. Like, we are so used to staying away. Stay away. Stay away. When God goes, no, embrace. I came to embrace you. I came to love you. I came to touch you, if you will. And I'm here to heal you. Instantly, leprosy disappeared. So my, my question is, how is your compassion? I can guarantee you that you can answer that, that question in one second. You know if it's good or not. How is your level of compassion? How do you care about people? that are different than you. If someone were to come in here so different than you, listen, if someone were to come here that was homosexual, I, be, I, I believe it. The Bible teaches homosexuality is a sin. I will go to my grave believing that. But I've known people my entire life who are gay. And my entire life, especially in the 80s, we tried to stay away from them. We just avoided them because they were different. They seem different. They sounded different. They live different. And it's so easy. I'm using this as an example because 
it's, it's a very, uh, it's prevalent in our culture. It's so easy for the church to go, so disgusting. Do they even know they're going to hell? Like I said, people might get a little nervous at this conversation, but the reality is I believe it's a sin. But how in the world will they know Christ if that's how I react to them? Sick. Or not, you know what? I'm just going to avoid that guy or gal. I just don't want to hang out with them because that's just weird. See, that is more of the norm in the church is we avoid those people. We don't, I, I mean, some churches, believe me, they have signs and pickets and, and they start preaching hell. But the majority of Christians, we just, we don't say anything. We just stay away. It's safer that way. Jesus, he was not safe. Jesus was scandalous. Jesus would have been kicked out of a lot of churches. It's the truth. Because he did a lot that was very uncomfortable, made people uncomfortable. And he touched him because he was willing to show compassion. How is your compassion? The church, capital C, around the nation has been full of uh, modern-day Pharisees and religious people. We need to extend a hand of grace and mercy. Not accepting the sin like, oh, it's okay. I've been to some churches where they think that sin is okay. No matter what you do, it's fine. That's wrong. But at the same time, We'll embrace them, not the sin. We're not going, oh, that sin's so wonderful. Here, let's let's elevate it. Let's put the sin right up here and have everybody see it right here. No, no, no. We look past that and look at them. A creation of God, a son or daughter of God, a child of God that God sees through that mess and dirt and grime because he did that for me. He looked through the grime of my life. So my question before we close is, will a religious spirit change the world? Will, will modern-day Pharisees change the world? If you don't know what a Pharisee is, just look at the New Testament. They were terrible. Jesus did not have a word that was good about them. I believe the answer for the church's problem in America, more compassion, more grace, more mercy. Extend a hand where it seems like people are avoiding them. The last couple verses and we'll be done. But it's actually not Mark, it's in Matthew. Look at this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 11 to 13. I had to read this at the end. There's the Pharisees. But when Pharisees saw this, look, I almost, I wanted to bring like a a set of binoculars because that's what the Pharisees often did. They were looking through their window and they're looking out, you know, looking through and they're saying, look at what Jesus is doing. Sinner. I mean, they, they were watching. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, now imagine this, you're at church and this is how people describe you. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? That's going to preach. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. Here's Here's the quote. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. I want you to offer mercy, not sing a bunch of worship songs. And I love singing worship songs. Believe me. I sing a little loud because I don't care what people think. I used to. 
I love singing. I'll sing around my house. I'll say, Alexa, play whatever. And I'm just marching around singing. It doesn't even have to be, it, it, it could be like, like the Steve Miller band and I'm just singing along. I don't care what, you know, I'm just singing along. And, and, and he goes, Jesus goes, I want you to show mercy, not just lift up your hands in, in, because we can do this easy. Some of us can. Some of us are like, that's weird. What are we at a concert? No, no. It's easy to get excited. I ju- Back in the 90s when we were at church, we used to go up to the front, and we used to jump up and down during the worship. Anybody remember that? <laughs> Some th- things are, I'm glad they're done away from. Like you're singing a very slow song, and you're jumping up and down, right? Ah, uh, no, that's good. Anyway, but I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but know they are sinners. He's looking right at the Pharisees, and he's looking... You guys think you're righteous. But I've come to call those who know they're sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the middle of our sin, not after we, it's like, it's like taking a shower, getting out, getting dressed, and going, you know what, I need to jump in the shower really quick. You weirdo. No. You go in the shower, you clean off, then you're, you're, that's a, it's like you go in the shower dirty. So as we close this, I really want to pray for two people. In fact, I wrote it down right. I was practicing this yesterday. Because the story of leper, the story of the leper, it illustrates two points and two types of people. Number one, leprosy is not, it's chosen there on purpose. Because the point of the leprosy here is it's an illustration of your heart and your relationship with God. Leprosy, it isolates you from everyone else. Sin separates you from God. Sin, you, you, now all of a sudden you're kicked out of the kingdom of God and you're out of the, it's like Adam and Eve. You're out of the Garden of Eden and now you're in the city dump and that's where, you, that's where your life is forever, according to God. And leprosy illustrates that you are separated from God and you need, you need to receive mercy and grace. And that's exactly what he did. So the first type of person, I want to I pray. I want you to close your eyes. The first person is here, you know you're a sinner. <clears throat> Jesus came not for the righteous, but for those who know they're sinners. Jesus is not mad at you. He loves you. So with your eyes closed, every head bowed, I want you right now, in Jesus' name, I want you, we talked about this earlier, if you are, if you're a sinner, and listen, I'm a sinner. Desperate need for Jesus. In other words, I heard this way, what the church and the gospel really is, it's a, it's, it's a homeless person telling another homeless person where to find food, where to find bread. That's all we're doing. We're not judging you. We're not saying you're a sinner, you better, you're going to hell, you better get right, shape up, or ship out, right? No, we're showing you where to find food that's not, on the, not in a city dump. Jesus has a banquet reserved for you in heaven. So if you're here right now, with every eye closed and head bowed, don't look around. If you want to receive this Jesus, I'm not going to make a spectacle of it, believe me. Because when I gave my life to Christ, they made a huge spectacle of it, and while I gave my life to Christ, it made me really, 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 really nervous. But if you're here and you want to receive Christ, I want you to lift up a hand. Just say, I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to receive forgiveness today. 
Just lift up your hand. Don't be afraid. Okay, you can put your hand down. Let's take a moment to pray. There are people that did raise their hand for that. Father, I give you my life. I make you the Lord of my life. I want this Jesus that the scripture talks about. I desire forgiveness. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You can forgive me. You can make me righteous. You can make me brand new. Lord, I thank you for your salvation that you offer. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. One more. One more type of person. If you need healing right now. With every, hand, with every eye closed still, I want you to lift up your hand if you need healing. Okay? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. You can lower your hands. If you're here and you need healing, I want you to, I want you to understand something. God offers you healing, but do not feel like you've done something wrong if he chooses to do it in, in his time. He may do it right away. Don't give up. Keep seeking God. Keep knocking. Heavenly Father, we lift up these people that lifted up their hands for heal, physical healing or any kind of healing, Lord God. You are the healer. You touch this man. It's evidence right now that you are a healer, God. You've healed my life in multiple areas of my life. And Lord God, you are still the same today and forever, God, as you were then. So God, I, I pray for the Holy Spirit to rain down in their lives over their head, over their mind, over their eyes, over their body, over their feet, over, their, over every part of their relationship, their finances, wherever they need healing. God, I pray that you would make yourself known to them. This is why you came to heal in the first place. It's not just to do parlor tricks. You came as compassionate, but you also showed it to show your authority over the sickness, your authority over the demon, over your authority over everything, that you have the authority. And so, Heavenly Father, thank you that you're a loving God. And I pray that you would continue to rain down upon them right now. I pray that this would be a, it would be a work right now that would begin and that we would not be discouraged, that we would continue praying and continue seeking God. We would continue to say yes to Jesus and we would receive everything you have for us today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you Wednesday for prayer at 7.